so many people come and tell me that, hey, listen, I, I realized I had a profit, X amount of profit at November, almost December, so I didn't want to pay any taxes, so I bunch, bought a bunch of inventory. That's great that you bought a bunch of inventory. I love the reinvestment, but that's not an expense. You can't deduct inventory until you sell it. Thanks for subscribing to the ZonCon podcast, the podcast all about Amazon conversations. These are the tips and tricks to become an Amazon millionaire. Here is your host, Andrew Erickson. He is all things Amazon, and so is this podcast. Let's have an Amazon conversation. Hey guys, welcome back to the Zoncom Podcast. This is Andrew Erickson, your host as always. Today, I'm very excited. We are bringing you a hot topic because it is the end of March and early April right now. And we are talking about taxes because as most of you guys know, corporate taxes are due in March and personal are due in April. So I figured let's talk about taxes. We're going to talk about some uh, the best, kind of the biggest mistakes that people do on a day-to-day basis running their business. And also uh, in the next episode, we're going to talk about some kind of big money stuff. When you're past the day-to-day and you start talking about exiting and, and other ways to kind of like special ways to move money and wealth around, avoid or, or not avoid, what's the, uh, optimize our taxes. Uh, we're going to talk about that. And today I got the CEO of Avask on the call. Tim Nelson is here. He has been a CPA, uh, an official uh, in, you know, a certified accountant for the last seven years. And he actually literally wrote the book on uh, sales tax accounting for e-commerce sellers. So he, and also sells that book on Amazon. So he himself is technically an Amazon seller. So Tim, thank you so much for being here. Excited to have you. Thanks, Andrew. I appreciate it. Nice. And then, uh, Tim, why don't you tell us a little bit about Avask? You said you're the CEO of the U.S. version of, of uh, Vask. Why don't you tell us, like, what is Avask? And then maybe tell us a little bit more about yourself as well. Sure. Uh, Avask is a global e-commerce accounting firm. Our headquarters is actually in uh, Southampton, the U.K. And uh, we have offices in France, Germany, Italy, China, uh, and the United States. So what we do is we actually handle or help sellers who are looking to sell in any of the e-commerce markets throughout the world uh, get set up and make sure that we uh, take care of their taxes and make sure that they're compliant so that they can just focus on selling. Myself, I've been helping uh, sellers uh, like yours, uh, part of the Titan Network for maybe the past seven years, uh, dealing with all the uh, different laws and tax changes that have happened over these past few years regarding either sales tax corporate taxes, or even most importantly, helping them plan their personal taxes to try to save them money, as you were saying before, or as we say, try to help them pay the right amount of tax, uh, try to optimize things so that, uh, you know, they, they're happy with the uh, the amount of money they get to keep in their pocket. Nice. Love it. Yeah. Pay the right amount of tax. That's that, that's a good way of saying it. Thank you. What's, what's, yeah. the, what's the phrase? Uh, tax evasion. Tax evasion is illegal. Tax avoidance is is uh, preferred. I'm, I'm yes, it, we call it uh, the gray area, you know, uh, so as long <laughs> as we're kind of living in that gray area of, um, is this right or are we allowed to do it? That's uh, that's something. Where, yeah, exactly what we try to do. And hopefully it saves our uh, our taxpayers some money. Tax evasion is illegal. Tax avoidance, avoidance is, is uh, preferable. Preferable. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. There we go. Awesome. Great. So I wanted to ask you a few of the day-to-day things that I've had issues with in my business. And I talked to a lot of other Amazon sellers and e-commerce sellers and, and some of the things that they've had issues with. 
So I guess the first one I'd like to ask you about is kind of can you walk us through a little bit of the advice on how we should structure our companies. If we're like kind of at the very beginning and sort of just like trying this thing out and we start getting up to the point where we're doing like some good money and then we get to the point where we're where we're thinking of building, you know, we kind of have like this multi-million dollar corporation. How should I structure it like LLC, S-Corp, solopreneur thing? How do I do that? Sure. And it's a question that actually comes up quite a bit. And I find that a lot of sellers, no matter what platform they're selling on, kind of Google it or ask their friends what they're doing uh, and then just form the entity on what somebody else is doing, whether it be an LLC, an S corporation, a C corporation, or a sole proprietorship. Uh, And actually setting up the right entity right from the beginning is actually rather important. Uh, there are benefits uh, for each type of entity. And, uh, you know, just knowing those simple benefits, I think, actually helps you, the seller, decide, okay, hey, I want to go in this direction so that it helps me in the end because I can understand why on this type of entity. Uh, the first type of entity that actually nobody should ever choose is a C corporation. Uh, and most people are not because it's the only entity where you could be subject to double taxation, meaning, the company makes money, the company pays tax on that money. But then let's say you, Andrew, as the owner, want to take money out of that corporation, you have to pay tax again on your personal return. So you're paying tax on the corporate end, then on your personal end, on that same money. So hence, double taxation. So, And I rarely come across anyone who's formed that type of entity, but I figured, let me just get that one out of the way. Usually, uh, Foreign sellers who try to sell into the United States have to choose that entity. That's the only time it ever comes up. But our U.S. sellers, people that are citizens here, rarely have to be that type of entity. Well, so, you know, probably, uh, I think a third or half our audience are actually non-U.S. residents. Um, ah. So how should they do a C-Corp? They, they would have to, actually. They could be a C-Corp really? or an LLC. They, foreign, uh, foreign, uh, foreign people are not allowed to be an S-Corporation uh, by law. So they can't even choose to do that. So um, they can choose to be an LLC or a C corporation. Even when you choose to be an LLC, you can elect to be taxed as a C corporation. So um, yeah, there's usually two different things there for uh, those individuals to choose from. Can you be an LLC and be taxed as an S corp if you're a foreigner? Not if you're a foreigner, uh, only if you're a US citizen. So anything that has to do with S corporation is only available to US citizens. Oh, did not know that. Good to know. So interesting. Okay, so if they're an LLC but not a C corp, would they just file as a sole prop? They could file as yeah a sole prop, or actually, uh, two owners of an LLC would file a partnership return by default. So then they would Got have it. to either file a partnership or the C corp. What do you suggest? So let's, let's say somebody is getting up to that million dollar um, million dollars a year in revenue, uh, or, or let's say they'll and if they're I guess if they're beginning their company and they're forming it and they're based in the UK, selling primarily in the US, and they are wanting to get to a million dollars in you know whatever right, two years, right? Well, that would be a kind of an income of two hundred thousand dollars. Sure. Should they form as a C corp? And that is a loaded question. So I'm going to give you I'm going to give you such a good answer because there's so many tax rules that come into play there. But really, um, they could a first of all they don't even have to form an entity here to sell into the United States from the UK. So they could just get an EIN number and just register for sales tax in the proper spots and just start selling. 
and they're good. I mean, the most thing they may have to do is we'd file an informative return for them because like many gray areas we were discussing before, the IRS really hasn't caught up to what selling through e-commerce is like. And so they don't even know if a company who sells, let's say from UK into the US without forming an entity has to pay or file taxes here. So what we do is we file them a, for them an informative or a protective return saying, hey, we're a company. We have no nexus because we don't have an office. We don't have any people here, but we're selling here, but we're not going to pay tax here. We're, pay- we're picking up the income because we're a UK company over in the UK. And that's where tax treaties come into effect and stuff like that. So hopefully I didn't dive too much into it, but you can structure it and uh, still still sell in the in the US without having to form any kind of entity. But then, but then once exit strategies come into play, it might benefit to have a US company in case you want to just sell off the US side of things and not your UK company, as opposed to have every everything under one roof. Interesting. Good. Okay, good to know. So it like everything here, it's it's complicated. But if we're talking about US residents in general, you would want to be an escort, right? Uh, that would be my advice. When are the times we would not want to be an escort? Just so, so we can maybe maybe we know when not to do it. We'll know when most the, most of the times are. So, if you're not an escort, you're going to be an LLC. Those are really the two choices. I would never advise anyone to be a sole proprietorship. Why? Because it's not giving you that corporate protection. An LLC and an escort give you that corporate protection, meaning. God forbid anything ever happens. Somebody sues somebody for what product, this, that, or the other thing. They only can sue you, the company. They can't sue you personally. So that protects your personal assets. So I, I would always tell anyone who's a sole proprietorship, all right, even if you've been a sole proprietorship this long, let's look at forming some kind of entity to protect you. All right. Then it comes down to, all right, do you want to be the S corporation or the LLC? Uh, the LLC is the simplest type of uh, entity to to run. Basically, all your income and expenses are put through the LLC. Uh, it flows to your personal return and you pay your tax there. What you also pay is self-employment tax. Uh, that's the government's way of saying, hey, you didn't have to take payroll and no taxes came out of your paycheck. So we want to grab those taxes. Those same paycheck taxes that come out of your paycheck is what self-employment taxes are on your personal return. So you're paying tax on the income from the LLC plus self-employment tax. That's what it really means to be an LLC. An S corporation, which I would always recommend to everybody, does it a little differently because you have to first file an S corp tax return, which you won't owe any tax on. There's never federal tax on an S corporation. You may have to just pay whatever state you're registered in an S corp fee, which could be like $300 or $500, depending on your revenue. But just like an LLC, it flows to your personal return and you pay the tax there. But you don't pay self-employment tax, which is Mm. about 15%. So that's a 15% savings. If you have a profit of $100,000 or even $200,000, like you were saying, that could be $15,000 to $30,000 of tax savings. Yeah. So everybody could be like, wow, why am I not an S-corp? Let me make sure I throw on the other side of that coin. What is that? Again, self-employment tax that you'd be saving on, well, that's the Medicare tax that comes out of your paycheck, but more importantly, your social security. And so everyone always thinks about, hey, when I retire, am I going to have, how much social security am I going to have? Well, if you're not paying in that self-employment tax, you're not contributing to social security. I'm 45 years old, uh, not going to retire for a while. I don't think 
Social Security is going to be around that longer. But again, that's just my opinion. And so I present it to the seller when forming the entity. Here's what we can do. But there is a way around that. Meaning, uh, well, actually, let's step back for a sec. But the IRS says when you form an S corporation, since you're not paying self-employment tax, you're supposed to take payroll as an owner. How much payroll are you supposed to say? Oh, IRS is always crystal clear on that, a reasonable amount. Now, what's reasonable to me, you or the other person can vary in any amount, but it's it's a rule that actually the IRS does not even force. So a lot of the uh, S corporations that we do either have payroll and it's very small amount or just haven't gotten around to having to pay payroll at all. So they're getting that full savings. But let's say Let's say, Andrew, you're the person that, mm, I want to make sure I follow the rules. I want to make sure I take payroll. And you've got $200,000 of profit. Well, okay, well, let's, we're going to put you on payroll for a reasonable amount. Let's put you on for $20,000. Now you're still saving that 15% on that other $180,000. So you're still get, taking the payroll like you did as the IRS would want you to do, but you're saving all that tax on that extra $180,000. So it, it, in my in my advice to all our clients, I, it, I, I find the benefits of an S corp to be there. Nice, that's good. That's good. So so let's just say ninety nine percent of the time, S corps are good if you're a U.S. resident and you're making you're doing that kind of you have like a you know at least a you know whatever jobs worth of income, right? Right. Great. Good to know. So we said we I I pay myself fifth. What was it? I guess I think it's three thousand or four thousand a month in W two. Sure. And what I reasoned was, you know, an account manager would make $20 an hour and 20 times 40 hours a week is, is 40 K. And so I think three K, whatever, three or four K, whatever it is that we run through W2. Is that, am I paying too much? I like cut that in half. You said 20 is cool. Yeah. Uh, well, again, who, what is the definition of a reasonable amount? It, could, uh, <laughs> it, could, it depends on who you're talking to. That's why it's such a gray area. I think it's a reasonable amount. I mean, a lot of people can look at it, uh, forget what kind of job I'm doing. What's it compared to the amount of income that the company's showing? You know, it, it depends. Maybe it might depend. I've heard on other people. I've heard other people say that you should take like a half, like half of your income, half of your profit should be W-2. But you're saying that's like way too much. It, there's, I don't read anywhere or anything that says you should take half. I, like, if I'm looking through the IRS, you know, verbiage, there's no nothing that says half. It's just reasonable. Well, again, has anyone ever come up and questioned you uh, from IRS or state on the amount of payroll you're taking? The answer is no. In the 25 years that I've been an accountant, it's never come up once never been questioned. So let's just make sure, A, whether we want to take payroll at all, because somebody that's not, ma- it's a company that's not making money, let's say in its first year, well, reasonable amount of payroll is zero. I mean, we're, we may be losing money right now because we're getting everything structured. So why register for payroll and start taking taxes when you're losing money? Let things get going first. Let the company make money, reinvest in inventory. You may want to Put that money in a couple of other places to get the company up and going, uh, and then maybe address payroll two or three years down the line. Nice. But still, you're at least saving on those taxes because, again, everything flows to your personal return, which, again, if losses, it lowers your taxes, lowers your income, and profits, okay, go to your personal return and you just pay it all there. All right. You gave me some action here. I'm going to cut my salary in half. So, good. Nice. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's going to. Yeah, exactly. I just, <laughs> out of this conversation, I just made you take off less money. But again, like it, <laughs> just, just like an LLC, an S Corp, 
you don't have to take money to get money out. You don't have to take it through payroll. You can take it through draw. You can just take money Got out it. anytime you want, put it back in, no problem. Just remember when you take money out of an S corp, it's not a deduction. So you're going to still have the same amount of profit. Put some money aside for taxes. Perfect. Good. Good to know. So that's great. Thanks for thanks for clarifying that. So for most U.S. residents, we want an S corp, and for uh, foreigners, probably don't want to be a U.S. corporation. And if you do, there are exit implications of not being a U.S. company. I know that when you are U.S. based, it is easier to sell your business. I've talked to a lot of people who've sold their businesses, and the ones that are happy who have set that up are happier, and the ones who haven't a little bit harder have a little bit harder time. Have you worked with people? Going through uh, non-U.S. residents selling a U.S.-based company or U.S. I don't know we call it most of our revenue comes from the U.S. customers. Have you worked with people who've done that? Uh, sure, and you're right. It has helped where having that what's called U.S. branch company, where it's not part of let's call it the U.K. For example, uh, it's it's got its separate revenue, separate expenses. It's easier for an aggregator to analyze those numbers, and you can just sell off that brand. There, you don't have to break everything out. You know, it makes aggregators a little nervous when trying to really know what the numbers are because, you know, they're ones making the investment to make the purchase. Uh, the numbers are a lot cleaner when you just have everything on the U.S. side detailed out, with, especially with the tax return, to show that uh, you've got your revenue, you've got your expenses. Yeah, it makes, makes it easier. Now you don't even have to sell a U.K. company. Let's say you want to continue selling a couple other brands or something like that, or maybe you have other plans. You could just say, okay, I'm going to sell this part and move on. So yeah, it's, it's happened a couple of times, not, not, not that often, but I've seen the benefits of it. Well, if we're, if we're planning on selling the entire revenue stream, like the entire business, and the business is all US-based, but we're a foreigner, a, a non-US resident, is it better to set up that C-Corp and get double tax so that you can get a, so it's easier to sell five years from now when you actually go to sell? It could be. I mean, if you're going to sell the whole company, then you're looking at, let's say, Amazon. You're just looking at all the numbers, all the SKUs, all the data, transactions, stuff like that. It, it would be easier. It's, I think it's more of just branching off a little. I only want to sell this section or that, but Got it. It, it can hurt. Nice. Good. Okay, good. The next question I was hoping you would help us with is like some of the other mistakes you've seen kind of solopreneur or, you know, a lot of our listeners are solopreneurs or they're solopreneur plus a handful of freelancers or they have a team of half a dozen people. So they, they're kind of that that sort of mom and pop shop still, right? What are sure. some of the biggest mistakes that people like this are making? Sure. Yep. Uh, let me give you two just off the bat. And they're actually pretty important uh, only because I've come across them quite a few times or contacted by sellers who were using someone else and they get a letter from the IRS that just says they owe tax. Because a lot of times the IRS won't even explain to you why you owe tax. They're just like, we've noticed an error. Here's how much money you owe. And usually the reason for that is that sellers through their bookkeeping won't pick up the right amount of revenue. Because traditional accountants or accounting says, if money comes into your bank account, though that's your sales. That's what was deposited in your account. So I'm going to pick up that revenue. Uh, less your expenses equals your income. Great. I'm going to file my return and send it to the IRS. Uh, the IRS gets a 1099K from Amazon, and that really tells Amazon what your sales are for the year. But that 1099K never matches what is deposited into your bank account. And a lot of people just don't realize that, or especially other accountants that haven't dealt with a lot of Amazon sellers. Why that is, is that Amazon will take out their fees first before sending you their money, so that what money hits your bank account is not 
your sales. It's not actually what you sold. It's after Amazon got their fees. So making sure that you record your revenue or your sales correctly, along with the Amazon fees, is so important to avoid dealing with the IRS in any way, because they can be quite a headache. And so making sure you're doing that bookkeeping and recording that revenue, I think is maybe the most number one headache or mistake that a lot of sellers or solo entrepreneurs could make. The second thing is recording inventory. This actually might be universal a lot, where just tracking inventory, getting good inventory valuation is uh, quite a headache. But in this specific uh, example, it's that when you when you purchase inventory, you can't expense it all. Uh, I've had so many people come and tell me that, hey, listen, I, I realized I had a profit, X amount of profit at November, almost December, so I didn't want to pay any taxes, so I bunch, bought a bunch of inventory. That's great that you bought a bunch of inventory. I love the reinvestment, but that's not an expense. You can't deduct inventory until you sell it. I thought the new Trump tax thing you from two years ago said that we can depreciate, uh, we can we can deduct any like short term inventory, which is like considering inventory under twelve months. It's so funny you say that. It's because I've read the same rule and it wasn't too clear. And I actually now, which will be taking on this client starting next week, that is had now to go back and readjust their taxes because it's just not clear. They they, they weren't they were deducting all their inventory. They got a letter from the IRS and now they've got to correct it all going back. So I don't think that is correct. And it wasn't too clear. So we have all our sellers make sure we capitalize inventory and deduct it when it comes through. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. I Listen, that's what, that's what this person did. And again, it wasn't, I didn't think it was too clear on our end. So we were just like, we'll play it safe. Let's just go with this rule. So it's interesting that you just brought that up because we were just dealing with it. Ah, that was a big thing that we were. So we were kind of like keeping that as a ace up our sleeve because we were hoping because we were when we needed to, we were going to switch when we have if we have a big tax bill, we were going to switch from like kind of the uh, inventory accrual basis to the inventory cash basis or so so accrual, like proper accrual. But then like but then deduct the short term inventory. That was my that was my like. I'm waiting to do that. What's I'm I'm holding that that ace up my sleeve to get ready to like play it whenever I need to. But you're saying that ace is probably fictional. Yeah. Again, there was a lot of gray area on that, and nobody not really knowing 100% sure if that was right. But this one client get having to make this one adjustment because of the IRS is telling me IRS isn't even sure, or maybe they're just cracking down on this one because you know, depending on which which way you do it, that, you know, that has a lot of effect on your profit and loss statement. Uh, you can either show very minimal profit. And then when you switch back to the accrual, you're not going to have a lot of deductions in one year and show a huge profit. So because you, you haven't been accumulating your inventory, you've been expensing it this whole time. And then now once you start accumulating inventory, you, you won't have any cost of goods sold. There's, there's so many different ways of looking at that. But just from our point of view on how we've been doing it. Yes, just capitalize your inventory, expense it when you sell it. For growth purposes, I found it a lot easier to get as many deductions oh, as early sure. as possible. Correct. Because for us, like, man, did, I always tell people the most expensive thing that can happen to you is to be successful, right? Yeah, absolutely. You buy, let's say let's say you're starting out, you buy $10,000 worth of inventory and you think it's like four months worth of inventory, right? But you sell it in three weeks, boom, and you double your money. Like, yes, oh my God, I took 10,000, turned it into 20,000 in three weeks. Uh, well, 
production time plus three weeks of selling. Like that's amazing. Like heck yeah. Like let's keep doing that. We can make 10,000 every three weeks. That's a really nice income for the, you know, that's whatever. That's about 200,000 annual income. That's like, good. Let's keep doing it. Yeah. You got it. Right. Okay, great. Well, I spent $10,000. I now have 20 in my pocket. And then when I go to buy more inventory, well, I need to buy four or five months inventory to make to make sense, right? right. Especially like maybe our sales are going to be even higher because we have more reviews and stuff, right? Well, wait a minute. Three weeks was 10,000. If we went four months, we need five, 10 times as much inventory, right? Correct. So yes. let's just say, let's say what three goes, uh, whatever. I always say don't do public math. So let's just, <laughs> let's just say five. A lot. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. A lot. 5x, 5x. So now I need to pay, I need to buy inventory for $50,000, but I only have $20,000 in my pocket. I made $10,000 in profit. Like I'm highly, very profitable on paper, but cash wise, it sucks. Cause Correct. I just, I pulled out 10,000 from my pocket a few months ago. And now I have to go find another 30,000, whether it's from my pocket or a bank or whatever, like it's hard. <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to say, and especially for a new company or someone just trying it out, trying to get credit or, you know, to try to go to a bank and borrow money that you're just a brand new company they're not gonna they're not gonna loan you anything so trying to find capital and stuff like that is can, can be pretty challenging uh, a lot of the advice i give to those new sellers is grab a personal credit card just grab it and dedicate it to business and just start buying especially you know obviously if it's a smart move but i mean you've got to build up the credit to start financing that kind of uh, inventory and stuff like that but a lot of people come to me and are just like i you know i have a personal credit card but it's not business so i don't want to use it just use it. Just go. Just get. Don't slow down. Don't get get in your own way. Just start buying it. Eventually, you'll pay off that credit card, and and you're fine. Nice. I love that. That's one thing. That it's funny. I feel like good accountants always tell you like, don't do, don't change your business. Don't change your practices to optimize your bookkeeping and taxes. Like, do a good job. Do good business. And then we'll kind of figure out the taxes later. There's some few things you got to tweak, like maybe you set up an S corp instead of a C corp, these little, yeah. like, little tweaks, whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, whenever I hear people say like, oh, it's okay. I like, I spent 10, I wasted, I, I lost $10,000. It's great. Cause I have, I, now I get to save $2,000 on my, on my taxes. I'm like, but you lost $10,000, right. like, right. or you burned it. Right. Like that sucks. You should be sad. Yes. And you're like, well, but I made two thousand on taxes. Like, no, you didn't. You lost eight thousand dollars net. That sucks. And that conversation comes up so many times, Andrew. Especially at the end of the year when somebody says, "I have a hundred thousand dollars of profit. Can I just buy a car and write it off so I don't have to pay exit twenty thousand dollars in tax?" But you're buying a car, and let's say you don't need the car. Uh, the car costs fifty thousand dollars. You're spending fifty thousand dollars to save on twenty. That, that means you're just losing another 30000 on something you may not need. So it, it's funny that you say that things like that because it, it comes up so often. Like, what if I just buy another computer or, or buy this? I'm like, but you're spending the money. You're spending X dollars only to save this. Don't do that unless you need it, unless you need it. Yep. I love that. I have two more questions. I love those two, those two tips there. So I, I'm still, I'm going to have to rethink about my inventory now. So that's good. That's good. good yeah, thing listen, to... Again, it, it, this is something that happened to one client. There, there are plenty of people that are calculating their inventory that way. Again, I, we want to make sure things are a are safe and that you're just doing what you're doing. So you just keep selling it. It's just been our policy to make sure that it it's nobody can question the way we're doing it as in capitalize your inventory expense it as you sell it. And especially if let's say you buy it in March and it's five months of inventory and you sell through it, 
doesn't matter how you record it. It all got sold, so you would have expensed it anyway. It's only really towards that end of the year time, if you, as you say, as you're looking to minimize tax so that you save money so you can reinvest in your business more. The thing that made me sad, and this is the, like, I kind of, like, in theory, I knew that this was going to happen. But when it actually happens to you, I'm like, oh, this is, this sucks. My first full year selling. So I still, I kind of had a, a half, you know, partial year kind of growing whatever partial year. Right. And then my first full 12 proper months. I started the year with $10,000 in inventory. And I finished the year with $70,000 in inventory. Our top line was, I don't know, a third of a million, 400,000, something like that. Right. So, so yeah, it was nice. I was like really happy. Like I, you know, got, and again, this is, this is all part-time. I'm kind of like, I'm working as a, you know, full-time engineer or whatever. And, and then I, I get like this part-time income and like, I do the math. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I'd sold $350,000, $400,000 of the inventory or worth of sales. And on paper, I made $80,000. Right. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> like that's, that's close to my, you know, it's whatever it's yeah. in the same ballpark as my engineering salary. I'm like, wow, that's great. Okay, cool. But I made 80,000, but I only have $20,000 in cash. Cause I have $60,000, $70,000 in, in inventory. And I'm like, I get, it. I'm growing. I got it. I have more inventory so I can sell more the next year. I got it. Okay. This is good. I'm fine. I got it. That makes sense to me. Right. Then I went to the government and I said, Hey, I have $20,000 in cash. And, but of course, you know, the way the accountant made me tell the government like, oh, well, but we, we profited 80, but I have $20,000 in cash. And the government said, oh, you profited 80. Congratulations. You owe us uh 30,000. Right. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I only have 20,000 in cash. Go, okay. Then you have, it doesn't matter how much cash you have. You Correct. have to pay your taxes. I'm like, well, I, Made eighty thousand, but the end of the year, I in my pocket was negative ten thousand dollars, and that made me so sad. I'm like, why does this happen? I don't get it. I, I do get it, but also like, I'm just mad about it. I guess. No, yeah, and I get it, and it comes up a lot, uh, especially with uh, sellers when I when they say, "Oh, good, I I just got my settlement from Amazon uh, every two weeks, and I've got this money, and great, let's reinvest, let's reinvest, and stuff like that." And but yet your profit and loss statement is showing you're making money. Make sure you save some money for taxes, especially if you really reinvest at the end of the year during the holiday time and you want to really replenish with your inventory and stuff like that. Hopefully that all sells out so that cash comes back to you January and February because come April, it's tax time. We're, we're going to have to pay tax on that. Um, and just uh, I think this is a good a good point for some of those beginning sellers out there that uh, you know knowing your numbers is, is really important. Obviously, coming from an accountant, uh, it's self-serving, but you know, making sure you have accurate numbers of, of what your sales are, less your expenses, uh, showing profit so that, you know, nobody likes those surprises come April 15th. Nobody wants a call from me saying you owe $15,000 of tax. And they're like, I didn't even expect to owe any tax because either they didn't think of it or didn't have the numbers correctly. You know, it's just making sure you stay on top of your numbers and looking at your financials so that, uh, you know, you're, you're treating yourself like a business and, and aware of what kind of numbers you're uh, producing. Uh, as like where you were just saying, you know, you, you're an engineer and you're showing profit of 80,000. A lot of people just look at their top line number. They're like, all right, I'm working at this job over here, but I, I had $300,000 of sales. I don't need to work over here. Look at all these sales I have, but yet not going through, all right, I've got Amazon fees and all these other expenses. You may have a negative twenty thousand uh, dollar loss, or only a profit of thirty thousand, and yet you're quitting this eighty thousand, sixty thousand dollar job. Your job, thinking because you had so much sales, you know, making sure you 
you look at your numbers, see what they're telling you and, uh, you know, making your business decisions off that. The phrase I like from that is uh, revenue is vanity, profit is sanity, and cash is king. Cash is king. Oh, that's the best saying yeah. in the world. We, uh, I <laughs> tell everyone cash is king. You can do anything you want if you've got cash. Nice. Well, tell us, uh, so Avast, I know, does bookkeeping and taxes and stuff like that. How do, how do most e-commerce sellers, again, we're, we're kind of thinking the million dollar or the half million dollar seller, that the annual revenue US-based company, do you suggest they do like monthly bookkeeping or quarterly or like, what, how do you, you said know your numbers, but a yep. lot, you know, it's like, okay, how do I know them? You tell me, how do we know them? Sure. So how do we get what, to know them? Yep. So what we do here, uh, especially for our clients is we give them monthly bookkeeping, uh, a profit and loss statement and balance sheet. But I think the most, the thing that talks to sellers the most is the profit and loss statement on a monthly basis, knowing what kind of sales you've had, what kind of profit you're looking at really gives them a good idea of how their business is doing. Because again, in their head, they could say, hey, I thought I had a tremendous month. But once once you kind of look at it in paper, it really t- speaks to you on, oh, I forgot maybe that marketing cost or all that travel I did to go to this event or that event that was very helpful. But you know, just don't forget you've got those expenses. And so just seeing those numbers, even if you just eyeball them, okay, yep, I had a profit again this month. I had a profit again this month kind of gives you a good idea. And then I think, especially for that 500000 to a million dollar seller, how can Avask really help them? Um, a, first in the US is just all right, bookkeeping, tax returning, tax planning for those who have to do estimate taxes and stuff like that, especially for the business that have profits. You know, just staying on top of that really gets you through the US tax side. But really, what, what can especially once you get up to that million dollar side, what can you do to keep increasing to me is expansion. Great. You're selling in the US. Let's say you're selling amazon.com and you've, you've got a million in sales and things are going great. You know, It's time to look outside the US where again, Avast can help because we're, we're, we're all over. So you may say, all right, I, I want to sell in the UK or I want to sell in Europe, but I, I have no idea how to do that. I don't even know what the taxes are. I don't know what the rules. We've got our people there and it's it, a, you're already using Avask in the US. We just hand you off to them uh, to basically hold your hand and guide you through the expansion saying, all right, here's the first thing you need to do. Here's how to get inventory over here. Here's the rules. Here's what taxes we can expect. Here's what taxes you're getting wrong. And don't worry, you don't have to worry about that. But getting you set up and getting you selling in more marketplaces is really, really the key. I mean, you know, getting your product in front of as many eyes as possible, that's, that's the way to get more sales. And so if, if you're really knocking that out of the park here in the US, and then then expansion is really, I think, the next step for sellers like that. Nice. I love that. That's fantastic. Well, Tim, this is the first part of our two-part series. So we can end it here. And I have some cool stuff we're going to talk about in the next episode. We're going to talk about some more aggressive tax optimization things that I'm trying to do. And I'd like to get your, see what you think about these things. And hopefully that that's something that the rest of the audience can do as well. And we're also going to talk about when we have a windfall, when we do sell our business, what kind of things can we do or can't we do with that windfall money? That's going to be in part two. Um, so if you guys are new to the podcast, make sure that you subscribe to the channel. We're in all the podcast directories and just go ahead and subscribe. We release episodes every single week. And uh, if you want to hear the next part about advanced tax strategies and how to really optimize your taxes for that big exit that you have someday, uh, make sure to subscribe and listen to the next episode. Tim, we'll be talking to you in the next episode, but why don't you give us a a way that people can contact you or Avask or whatever um, to learn more about you and your services. 
Sure. Andrew, thank you, first of all. And again, my name is Tim Nelson. I'm the CEO of, uh, of Ask in the US, and I'm a CPA. And anyone can reach me at timothy.nelson at avastgroup.com or call our office here in New York at 914-664-1900. Awesome. Thanks so much, Tim. Thank you. Hey guys, if you found value from this episode, I would love if you could tell the world. If you don't want to tell the entire world, I would love for you to tell iTunes at least. If you can go to iTunes, if you listen to this podcast on iTunes, go ahead and go leave us a review. I have a few here that are amazing that I love to read out. I read every single review that's posted. This one is a review from Amber K. If you're looking for a podcast to efficiently learn hacks to grow your Amazon business, this is it. Andrew's wealth of knowledge is abundant and generously shares it all for this podcast. The latest and greatest information to push to your business to the right to the next level is right here. Stop reading this review and tap play. Nice. Oh, I love it. Amber K. Thank you so much for doing that. So if you think you have a review that is equal or better than Amber K's or, or worse, whatever. If you don't like me, that's cool. You can tell me too, whatever. Go to iTunes, leave a review. Also, Spotify now is allowing ratings. So please go onto Spotify and super easy. You don't even have to write anything. You just hit five stars and leave that review. You know, as an Amazon seller, how important reviews are to your business. I am asking you at the goodness of your heart, please leave me a review as well. Thanks.